Welcome to Who Was She podcast. This is a bonus episode where I thought it would be interesting to talk about how I got started with it. And with me is graphic designer and script supervisor, Angela Masakio. Hi, Angie. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? You know, holding up in COVID times. COVID time. So we talked about me doing this episode. So we wrote some questions down, but you wanted, you'll ask me and then I'll explain it and you can share the experience because you kind of were, have been there from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I'm always interested to learn more about your faith. I don't really have any background in the Baha'i faith unless, you know, talking to you about everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of, I liked saying who was she as the title because I'm open to outside of women throughout history, not just Baha'i history. Mm -hmm. But I started this whole podcast because I heard about Lydia Zemanoff mm -hmm. like six years ago. And how did you hear about her? I was uh, working with Baha'is, the Baha'i National Center of New Zealand for a television show that is that aired around the South Pacific Islands. And now because of the internet, it's all on YouTube called Baha'i On Air. Mm -hmm. And I was an editor and eventually I got to do a little bit more. I helped a lot with their social media and their archiving. I got to produce a little bit, but it was 2013. And every year in New Zealand, the Baha'is of New Zealand have a summer camp, which is of course winter our time because it's in <laughs> December. Um, and they have a, it's, it's about, I want to say like two hours max away from Auckland. I can't remember where. Is it Hamilton? I don't remember. Uh, in New Zealand. <laughs> and it's a camp area and they have a speaker. And that year they had Hartmut Grossman. And he was a Universal House of Justice member. And his father was Dr. Herman Grossman. And what's the House of Justice, Universal House of Justice? Good question. So Baha'is don't have a clergy, mm -hmm. right? But to have governing bodies that kind of help us with our uh, treasury, like our budgeting, uh, with international affairs, because we, can't, we cannot be partisan, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but we are encouraged to vote in our countries, how does that work? How do we need guidance and things? So we need counseling or guidance okay. and consultation is a huge part of it. But we don't need a clergy because the idea of clergy from my understanding is that this human being studied more or is closer to God or a prophet or to the Holy Scriptures than you do. So you need their guidance more. That's how I understand clergy. But basically, in the Baha'i faith, they said everyone has the equal rights to getting to it. To, so you don't need to go and confess your sins to anyone, right? But if you're having a question, whether it's what should I do, um, you know, at this time of recording, we're in March, and it's fasting, the mm -hmm. month of fasting for Baha'is. So if you have a question about fasting, if you're having trouble with it, um, 
or if you're traveling and things like that, who do you go to? Well, you can go to other Baha'is, but we do have governing bodies that have that their job basically is to make sure that we are guided the best way possible. And we vote every five years, basically. So anyone can become part of the House of Justice within the vote. Within the vote. And and like if if you were nominated, you have the. So here's the catch. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Only in the Universal House of Justice is it only men can be. Oh, members. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that, that's a huge problem with a lot of Baha'is and non-Baha'is mm. because a huge principle is the equality between men and women. Mm-hmm. But then they'll ask, why can't men, excuse me, why can't women be part of the Universal House of Justice? And the answer to that is they said one day it will be so clear. Uh, it, it will be as clear as the the light in the sun of why women can't serve in the universal house of justice until then you just have to have faith that there's a reason why it's a law. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but when it comes to more, so universal house of justice is for the entire earth, every Baha'i, you know, they guide all the Baha'is and yeah. work with them and all that. Uh, then we have national spiritual assemblies, which is each country having its own nine members. Universal House of Justice oh. has nine members of men. Mm-hmm. National spiritual assembly, local spiritual assembly. So, for instance, there's the United States' local spiritual, excuse me, national spiritual assembly. Then we're in New York. So the New York City has its own local spiritual assembly. Mm-hmm. What's another city in New York? I don't know. Poughkeepsie? Sure. Poughkeepsie yeah. would have its own <laughs> local spiritual assembly. We're from Chicago. Okay. And so every from the, town. Yeah. Every town has a local spiritual assembly. And so we're from Chicago, but we were from different suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. Your dad's in Lake Forest. My parents are in Northbrook. Mm-hmm. So Northbrook has its own local spiritual assembly and so forth. Those spiritual assemblies, anyone over the age of, I think, 18 could be voted into it. Anyway. Oh, okay. So man or woman or whatever, that can happen. Yeah. But only universal house of justice can only be men. Got it. Look into it. You have to have, you can question all you want, but as a Baha'i, you just. Yeah, accept do, it. You accept it. Um, So there's almost like a prophecy then of like why yes. you're going to sort of like the prophecy of Esperanto. Yeah. A universal that, language. That the, there was needing a universal language, an auxiliary language. Um, but we'll, well get to we're, that. we're digressing. Um, so but, back to Hartmut. Yeah. So Mr. Grossman was a member of the Universal House of Justice. Okay. Uh, he served there. He was in his 80s at the time. He's deceased now. Mm. But he came with his wife to Auckland. He, I believe, lived in Germany. Oh, wow. I can't remember, but he wasn't nearby. Um, and he would give talks. Every year they have a speaker come in mm-hmm. and he came to speak. Um, and he talked about in a particular one of his days, it's about three days, this camp. One of his talks was the challenges of, of being a Baha'i now in the East or in the Middle East, particularly in Iran, where the, there's a lot of persecution. Yeah. He said, we have another challenge in the West, too. Mm-hmm. of living as a fully living as a Baha'i. It's very difficult. It can be. We don't drink alcohol. 
we try and abstain from backbiting or gossiping, all sorts of stuff. There's lots of lots of rules and it's only less than 200 years old. <laughs> so he said that there are some challenges, not just, hey, you can't go pray yeah. openly like you like in Iran or Yemen or things like that. They have a lot of that kind of stuff. But he also said this isn't the first time or only place that you didn't have religious freedom. We had no religious freedom during World War II, particularly in Germany. It was illegal to be a Baha'i in Germany, Nazi-occupied Germany. Mm -hmm. And so he started telling us the story of Fritz Mako, who was a young German Baha'i. Uh, he was 24 years old. And again, you know, we try and follow the, follow the law of the country that we're living in. Mm -hmm. Was Fritz the soldier you mentioned in your episode? Yes. Okay. That's so that's how I learned about him. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, he couldn't be a Baha'i freely in Germany, but mm -hmm. he also had to serve in the army, which was Nazi mm -hmm. occupied. So he had to serve the Nazi party, basically. He had to fight for Germany. For Germany. And, and you're pacifists. Mm -hmm. We don't raise arms. So he wrote to, so Mr. Grossman was saying, you know, he wrote to, for guidance. At the time we had no Universal House of Justice. We had Shoghi Effendi, which is known as the guardian. Mm -hmm. He was known as the guardian of the Baha'i faith. And he, and I mentioned in my podcast that he wrote, if your heart is true and pure, God will make sure you never raise your ar arms to another being. Mm -hmm. In this, in the cases of his brother and friends, they were killed either during training or during the, so they never shot anyone else, but they were shot and killed from my understanding. His was quite different. He became an ambulance driver and they sent him to, not to party, sent him to Poland. And he helped work, he worked with the resistance. And then Shoghi Effendi had gotten to know Lydia Zemanoff and said, there is Lydia Zemanoff. Mm -hmm. She's working hard to bring about, she's a Baha'i who's trying to bring about the auxiliary language. Um, again, it's not, necessarily going to be Esperanto, but her passion uh, and all the things that she has been able to do in the short years that she had become a Baha'i. Mm -hmm. Shogi Finney said, I, I care for her. I think she should, we can try and save her. And so he had a task of finding Lydia Zemanoff. And this is like what movies are made out of, right? Oh my God. I need to read this bio or yeah. adapt it somehow. I wish, I wish. So, uh, so it was, you know, here's a German young man who's secretly working for the resistance and trying to sneak Baha'is, Jews, gypsies mm -hmm. out. You know, they'll be like, go find this Jew. And he's like, okay. And they're like, he wasn't there. <laughs> and really secretly, he's like, go through this tunnel, get to this land, and then you're going to find a ship. And <laughs> Right? So... Um, so he had to find one Jew. I, I was like, it's a needle in a haystack. And he found her. Yeah. But she couldn't, she didn't want to leave her family. She's, he's like, I don't have the resources to help get you all out. I only have the resources to get you out. And she was living with her sister or brother? She was living time? with her family. I think at this time, her sister only mm. in the ghettos of okay. Warsaw. Um, 
and she's like, I'm not leaving. And I just have a feeling that I'm meant to stay here. And if that means I'm going to die, then I'm going to die. But, you know, and I will die a Baha'i, but I will not leave this area. And she did. She did die in a concentration camp, right? Um, and he ended up saving his mother. He ended up saving quite a few people. I actually got in touch with the German National Spiritual Assembly a few years ago when I first heard about this. And mm -hmm. they said, we have a few files because his mother wrote it down. Oh, that's incredible. And um, unfortunately, he was figured out and killed. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was by the Nazis. But from what I found out, it was Russian mm. army found okay. him and killed him. Um God, why even more tragic yeah and Ugh. and and he was shot and killed and his mother wrote down that and now she's lost two of her sons during world war ii um i don't know for how long she lived but i also found out more about lydia and maybe because i'm a woman so i was more in more like what's this woman's life like yeah. i don't know or to be honest she lived to 40 no so she was 38 he lived to 24, 25. Mm -hmm. There was more information on her. And then I found out that there was a book on Lydia. And so I started reading that book. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I felt like it was a father-daughter story. It was a mother-daughter story, how she formed a relationship with Martha Root. Um, the fact that she never married during a time that it was just not common for a woman not to get married mm -hmm. and in, in her family several of the women in the family never married and had children but they served in some capacity her sister for instance became a doctor she became essentially a teacher a language teacher mm -hmm. but still a teacher and she traveled quite a lot even though she didn't like it she knew traveling to connect to people was really important so that's how i, I was like this is a story and then the fateful ending of her life and the connection to Fritz. I tried to make it into, I was thinking like, what if this became a film and all sorts of stuff? And some people were interested, but it never really came about. And then in 2019, uh, I spoke, I had, I've worked on a few documentaries. I've worked in the film industry a little bit. Um, and with an old coworker and a very close family friend and my spiritual father, that's a story for another time, um, Edward Price, who's an author, and he, he's been writing a series of books about the prophets, right? Um, it's called The Divine Curriculum. And his publisher, uh, Gary, I don't know if I'm saying his last name wrong, and uh, so I just won't. I'll write it down. Um, but his publisher had worked in film television radio and now books right so he's worked on all the different kinds of media right um and he and ed said why don't you talk to gary and see what is the best way to tell lydia's story so i spoke with uh, uh, gary and he said making a film is nearly impossible mm -hmm. let's be honest i'm not gonna sugarcoat it and i was like yeah that, that sounds right so he's like, you can write a book. I'm like, there is a book already. So what, a, you know, uh, and he's like, okay. And then I thought, well, what about podcasting? I had worked with podcasters in the past. I really enjoyed producing podcasting. We all know you listen to them. I, I listen to a lot. Um, 
but it's mostly conversational. It's mostly like this episode. Mm-hmm. But could there be a biographical podcast? It's not impossible. You know, you I think you were the one who told me about you must remember this. Yeah. Right. Which is more of a biographical podcast. Absolutely. Um, And he's like, you know what? That could work. He's like, it's not going to be necessarily easier, but it's certainly cheaper. And that's the problem with getting anything made. Is there money behind it? I bought a mic. I bought um, the platform and all that, a couple hundred bucks out of my own pocket. And I started writing. Then it was just time, right? And that's how I started this podcast. And I really enjoyed it, enjoyed the process that I wanted to be open to what if I wanted to share more stories? Mm-hmm. And that's why I said, who was she? So that it's not just about Lydia and it's not necessarily just about Baha'i women, but it's still niche enough for me not to feel overwhelmed. Sure. So what was that process like? Um, I reread the book by Wendy Heller, Lydia, uh, and I contacted them to see if they'd be willing to let me use the book. The author, the publisher? The pub- uh, through the publishers. Okay. J.R. Books. And they said, yep, we give you non-exclusive rights. So if there is somebody who wants to make a film out of it, sure, um, contact me first, please. <laughs> but technically they could uh, if they get their permission from it. But I, they said, yeah, make the podcast. So I reread the book. I looked through my notes when I contacted the German National Spiritual Assembly about Fritz Mockel. And I started writing. I started highlighting things. I started putting them in different categories. I was like, this is really about her dad. And I know her dad was a huge influence of her life. How did she learn Esperanto? Why did she start traveling? Who did she meet? Then she became a Baha'i, all that stuff. So I started mapping it all out. And I just would take full paragraphs and pages of them and just put them, categorize them. And then I had to put it my own words. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing about, um, okay, so then I realized I didn't want it to be one full episode because then what's the point? Yeah, you need something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I started making them shorter. So I started putting it, okay, there will be one episode on her dad. There will be one episode on Martha Root. There will be one episode where she goes to the United States, which is 14 months of her life. And it's important because while she's in America, in Europe, war was breaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one episode of her going to pilgrimage, which every Baha'i is encouraged to do once in their lifetime. And she was able to do it. Uh, and what did that... I, I believe that that was the time that she's like, I need to travel the world and teach Esperanto. I and think I, that what's, that's what triggered it. Sorry to cut you off. Um, no, and that's a good way to, you know, encourage all kinds of audiences to want to listen to your podcast because they might connect with different episodes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I started getting comments in, in social media that they were like, oh, I heard about you doing a podcast on Martha Root because that's one episode. Oh, yeah. And I was like, not quite. (laughs) Um, Other people were like, I watched, I listened to a couple or I listened to the trailer and I want to binge listen. 
Mm-hmm. I want to listen to all of it because they're short episodes. Yeah. They're like, I think the longest one is 16 minutes. It's probably going to be, this is probably going to be the longest one <laughs> because this is how traditional podcasting is. But it was nice to hear how people are reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, a, and that was the other thing is I went and I joined a bunch of Facebook groups uh, for podcasters. I had already joined a couple because, again, I was a producer for other podcasts in the past and stuff. But I was like, who has done a biographical podcast? Who has done like a documentary style podcast? And there were very, very few. That's so surprising. Or at least there were very, very few that were willing to speak to me or give me advice. (laughs) But I do think it's just very, it's uncommon. Sure. Well, most people find history boring. (laughs) Which is not us, not us. We can't relate to that. But that's why I was like, I want a whole episode of her just traveling. I just want a whole episode of her father and stuff. You might be learning the language. Yeah. Making the language. So basically I had to experiment the entire time. Um, Some people were like only eight minutes for an episode. What are you crazy? I was like, well, I mean, sometimes. And then there was research that said the shorter, the better. Um, then people, people like really long episodes. I don't know. So for instance, like when someone's like, I'm going to binge listen to this. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, you do you. Um, and other people really responded well to, they're like, I want, this is what you really want. They're like, I want more. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I feel like you're going in a good route. And there's always opportunity for that. This is just your first, you know, this is the first season. Exactly. Yeah. And then making it, I wrote the script. We've known each other for over 20 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and I asked you to read the scripts just to, to have another perspective. Again, you're not from a Baha'i background. You might, like when you're like, explain what the Universal House of Justice mm-hmm. is during earlier this episode, uh, this conversation. But I was like, does this make sense? Does that, you know? All this. And then just like grammatically, it's good to have another pair of eyes before you hit record, especially for something that's more less conversational and more factual Mm -hmm. and history based. And then you graciously gave your free time to help me design because you have been designing for other companies, their logos, their graphics. I have a little bit of background. That's not my expertise. Shout out to my mom, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were staying with your mom for a while, and uh, and she ended up reading it, too, which was really helpful because I don't I think she knew less about Lydia and Esperanto and the Baha'i faith entirely, right? Absolutely. But she was most helpful with the logo, I would say. Oh, really? Yeah. Thank you, Holly. <laughs> so, yeah, so then we did that, and then I knew I wanted music. Everything that I listened to, and also the research I did, was that music was quite important. Mm-hmm. Especially for, you know, when you listen to some of the more documentary style, the music transitions kind of help. So you don't just hear one person speak. And it is scripted. It sets the mood, too. It does. Well, I could pay for it. Um, again, I'm paying out of pocket. Uh, so I was trying to stay in budget. And I have a friend, Sam Red, who um, he isn't a full-time musician, but it has always been a passion of his. It was a side gig of his. 
I've listened to him play before. I've listened to some of his music. So I went and I talked to him. I said, I'm doing this experimental thing. I can't pay you. I will credit you for everything you've done. Would you be willing to? And he's like, funny you should say that because now we were getting to the new year. It's now turning 2021. And he's like, funny you said that. I actually wanted to do more with my music, but like as a service, like I don't want to necessarily make money off of it. That would be great, but it's not the reason why I do music. It's not the reason that I do it. So how can I help? You know, his, I think he was saying like his girlfriend was working with a nonprofit and they needed music. So he composed it for them for free. You know, like Mm -hmm. he was trying to do more of that. He's like, I'm I'll be happy to, to help and give you music for your podcast. And so he, we talked about it and I was like, okay, so I need something that won't make people fall asleep from, to my voice. <laughs> I, uh, we get into World War II. The subject, the main person we're talking about dies in a concentration camp. So we're going to need to have sad music. But then I want some cheerful music. <laughs> so we had to experiment. And he's like, here are some things I recorded here. I have to go to my... He doesn't have a studio. He's like, I have to like build my keyboard again and all that stuff so we it was really fun we'd be on the phone i remember i was at the grocery store and he called me he's like okay i just sent you like two new pieces what do you think of those i was like i'm in the grocery store i'm gonna go in the metro let me call you back in like an hour but on the subway i was trying like anytime i had reception i'd be like press play and it was so much fun to get that creativity i was like I think I can do this because I knew the script and I sent him the scripts ahead of time too. So he can get a tone for it. I recorded sometimes my portion and sent him the audio. Mm. I said, so here's how you can hear what it sounds like on my end. So how would, what are some, I think this piece would go really well with the intro. I think, do you hear how I start changing my tone or at least I try to, cause I'm not a voice actor. Um, and that was one of the comments that Ed and Gary said. They're like, are you going to do the voice? Because no offense. <laughs> I was like, I'm cheap. <laughs> I'm on a budget. <laughs> and then, and then to, to differ. Yeah. And you said, no, your voice is great. It's very relaxing. Thank you. Um, so I had to, I was like, I, there's only so much I can do. Um, and this is a good insight of why it's so hard to make a film. This is only audio. It's exhausting, but it's also so rewarding. I loved it. Yeah. And so that's how I got you and Sam involved. And I was trained as an editor. Now it's just audio, no video really incorporated into it. So then I started getting it done. But what do you think the hardest part of the process was? The writing. Oh, wow. Because that's the loneliest part. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's particularly like when you have the beginning of the writing process, I knew where I want, what I wanted to add. I just added everything. Um, again, from a video editing point, there's, there's a saying, there's no, there's no such thing as too much B-roll. There's no such thing as too much. And then mm-hmm. you cut down. Um, so I just kept adding everything in there. There's so much I didn't add to it. I remember I'd be talking to you of like, should I add this? You're like, no, cut it out. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like it doesn't add to the story. Uh, and I was like, oh darn, I love that part. Um, and then it, so that was the, so that's not so bad. But then when you're really like, okay, now you have to make it complete sentences. Now you have to put it in order. What kind of order? And no one can really help you with that process. Right. That's, 
that's on you entirely. And then when you ask for edit helps, that can help. That's when you came in or asked you to come in, Mm -hmm. said, what do you think of this flow? To start with the dad. And then you'd be like, you have, or like, I remember I'd be in America, the episode in America. And you're like, you didn't mention Martha Root once. I was like, oh, see, thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) Um, So I had to add that she wasn't in America at the time. All right. Uh, That's why they never got to meet up in America. Uh, That kind of stuff. Those are fun. But between putting everything I'd like and to that level, it's really just me. And that's really hard. And I'm a huge multitasker. I can't be listening to podcasts. I can't be cleaning the house. I have to sit there and just write. That's it. And get in the zone. Get in the zone. Like maybe I can listen to like classical music. But how does that compare to actually recording the episodes? I think that would feel more lonely to me. It is lonely, but it's it's not terrible because again, it's um I mean like I'm having fun with this conversation. <laughs> but I knew it, I think they said like roughly a I forget the number. I think it's like roughly every 70 words is a minute in podcasting world. I don't know. But I'd be like, oh, it's only going to be eight minutes long. I'll just record it. It's it's short bursts, right? It can be, it's not the hardest, but it can be frustrating because I'm not in a studio or anything. And we're mm-hmm. living in a time of COVID. A lot of podcasters rent a studio to record. Um, but I don't really have that option not a lot of places are open yeah um and you know we'll have the heating on and then the heating is on for an hour and i'm like i only have a limited time to be able to record this construction cats the ambulance comes all sorts of stuff um i'll put a blanket over my head to put more insulation insulation. oh wow yeah but um there's so much limitations to it so that's kind of hard. And then I'm like, oh, I just have to do the best way I can and try and hope to be able to fix it in editing. So was recording, you think, one of the you know, challenges you had? It's definitely a challenge, but it wasn't the hardest part for me. Okay. The hardest part for was me writing. Was, was writing because I'm that's all by myself. You yeah. didn't read the book. No. Right? Um, not yet. Not yet? Uh, you should read it. It's good. I have a copy. Um, but it was, and, and it was my vision. And I, I was like, how do I put it from my head to, mm-hmm. to type it out? How or, do you express yourself? Mm-hmm. And then also to consider that I'm expressing myself only through audio. Mm-hmm. So no run on sentences. Um, I don't know what the music's going to be like yet. So I was like, it has to follow my voice and how I can manipulate my tone uh, to, to show like, you know, like then she went to the concentration camp, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's not very nice. <laughs> and I was like, if I always thought, how do I listen to podcasts? Well, I'll go commute. Well, commuting is not so common in a time of COVID, but I will be cleaning the apartment. I will be cooking dinner whatever, and I'll have it in the background. So people aren't using podcasts to necessarily learn. Mm -hmm. It's for entertainment. Mm -hmm. So if you like history, 
you're still doing other stuff. I'm assuming you're going to do laundry like I have done, right? Yeah. So when then there, so I, I liked it that they'll be like, oh, so she went to America. Uh oh, she's talking about Nazis gaining power. You know, you hear that. T- I have to be able to portray that tone, mm-hmm. and we know what happens next, but they don't in this podcast episode necessarily, right? So. I have to give you that journey. And that was another challenge. And that's in the recording. And I'm not sure if I did it great, but I tried my best. And again, it's my first time. Yeah, So absolutely. So what do you think other challenges were that you faced? Well, we talked about when I was trying to figure out how to do this kind of podcasting. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of resources. Not a lot of people were very familiar with it. A lot of podcasts are still conversational. Yeah. Or multi. And you have another podcast, right? Well, I have one for fun. Okay. That I started in 2015 called Discussing Divas. Um, Plugging my own podcast. (laughs) uh, Where I got to talk with my friends about our favorite television shows. Okay. Right? And that was because one of my favorite podcasts to listen to are when they review and share their thoughts on films and television. I love How Did This Get Made podcast. I like... uh, Anything by Kevin Smith, because I think he has a good way of telling stories. And I do find his voice very soothing. (laughs) But it's reviews, it's opinions, it's sharing stories and stuff. This is slightly different. And most podcasts are these conversational ones. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was hard to be like, what is the best way? Um, And then it was, how do I get listeners? Getting the promotional things. I've been reaching out to dozens and dozens of different kind of podcasts that do take guests to see if they'd be interested in having me come in. And I think of the different expertise that I could share and then say, oh, by the way, I have a podcast. And that's the nice thing about podcasting community is it's growing, but it's so supportive of each other. Really? We're not very, I I feel like there's not a lot of competition because again, it's free for the most part, it's Mm -hmm. free. For the most part, people just do it in the background and uh, listeners mm-hmm. and the people who are doing it are really doing it because they really enjoy it and mm-hmm. want to support other podcasters. Sure. But it was it was a challenge to be like, I want to go outside of not just my, let's face it, my mother's not the best with technology. She still was like, how do I listen to this? And I was like, on, you can listen to Apple Podcasts, you can listen to Spotify. She's like, you just named a bunch of things I don't know. <laughs> Foreign words. So uh, all sorts of, she's like, how do I tell people? I remember she's like, I'm going to share the whole family. What should I say? I was like, you can say that they can subscribe to listen to new episodes. She's like, do they know what that means? I'm like, they should, if they listen to podcasts, they know what that means. She's like, I don't need to tell them what to do. Like, look for this button. I was like, no, mom, you don't need to do that. I need to do that with you, but they don't need to. And if they can't, then don't worry about it. They don't have to be listening to it uh, kind of thing. But so promotional wise, that was a challenge, but it was a fun challenge. A lot of this, I would say all of it has been a fun challenge. So what was your favorite part about doing this whole podcast? Well, I do come from a creative background, so I've always liked the collaboration. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite part was finally being able to tell Lydia's story. Oh, it's been six years that it's always been on my mind mm-hmm. I read the book I reached out to people national spiritual assemblies and all sorts of stuff um, to learn more and I thought 
Um, why not share it with more people? Yeah. So finally, finding a medium that hopefully will reach to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you believe in the future of podcasts. I do. I th- again, it's radio, basically. It's radio. It's talk radio. Um, it's nothing really new. Yeah. But it's a forgotten art. Mm-hmm. But it's free. It's under a person's own schedule mm-hmm. to make and to listen to. Mm-hmm. Another challenge will be that I don't necessarily want this podcast to be forgotten. Because if I'm done with Lydia's story, do I just keep promoting her story? And it's been three years, right? So have you thought about doing other people? I have been. other people? And that's why I decided to just call it Who Was She? Okay. Now the logo was of Lydia's face. Mm-hmm. But I thought if I really, if this is a passion of mine, and as I started telling, you know, Ed and I would tell my mom or other people, I was like, I really think Lydia's story needs to be told and stuff. Then they would start mentioning other mm-hmm. people. In particular, Baha'i history, again, just because I started with Lydia, that I was like, I don't know who this person is. And they're like, oh, well, here's a video or here's a Wikipedia. And I'm like, whoa, this person's life is so interesting too. <laughs> so I wanted it to be open, like, if my schedule permits if this experience has been a really rewarding experience i don't necessarily want to give it up i don't want it to be a one-time thing yeah so i do have a couple of seasons in mind um i i'm thinking that season two will be on zainab who was a persian early believer in the baha'i faith who Mm -hmm. was killed during a battle, she, she, it's, it's such a long story to explain. Um, Save it for the podcast. I'll save it for the podcast, but it was really, and that comes from my mother. My mother's like, you know, there's certain women in Baha'i history that we all know about, Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't, no one ever really talks about Zainab. I was like, I don't remember her. They're almost I... like your martyrs or your saints, for lack yeah, of a better Yeah, they're martyrs. Term. They're definitely mm-hmm. martyrs. And she's like, but I always thought her story was really fascinating and no one really talks about it. And there's not a lot of information. Mm-hmm. But she always was like, I think you need to do this. Like, give her a voice the way that you're giving Lydia a voice. I was like, oh, you're giving me too much credit. But, <laughs> <laughs> but sure. And so I've been reading about Zainab. Um. And then recently I learned about Hazel Scott, who is a jazz and classical pianist mm-hmm. oh, wow. from the 1940s, 50s, 60s. Um, and she didn't become a Baha'i till much later in life. Mm-hmm. But her, the more I learned about her, I was like, who, what, when, where? And there's videos of her because she's more uh, closer at this time range and you can see like how she plays when two pianos because my mother's a classical pianist my aunt is a classical pianist i have no training and we tried it several times we're like i'm not a gifted pianist i'm a gifted listener uh but i saw her and talker thank you um but she like the way hazel scott played the piano i was like who is this person never i didn't really know her and then there's so much more information about her um, 
And she didn't become a Baha'i until much later in her life, but that's okay. It's still niche enough for me, and I'm just interested in her story. Yeah. Meanwhile, people who are not Baha'is are like, do you know about this person or that person? And I was like, no, I don't. So there's room for more. There's one that I really want to do, which is on Carol Lombard. Oh, yeah. Because my favorite thing is when She's married to Clark Gable, right? Yes, because my favorite thing is a lot of people don't know. I know about she did other things. Well, but, yeah, she was in the original Mr. and Mrs. Smith yeah. by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, which is a comedy. Um, to be or not to be it, or to have or to. Okay, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but she was like the actress. She also had a tragic life. She did, and she died quite young yeah. on an airplane crash during yeah. World War II. Um, but when people who are not familiar with the Baha'i faith. Sometimes the big ones are like, who do we, who would we know shows a Baha'i? And there's quite a few well-known Baha'is. But the one that I love to say, I was like, well, her name is Carol Lombard. Her and her mother were Baha'is. And she, so Clark Cable was, became her husband and they were in love, but he was already married to somebody else. And the only reason why he took the role of Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind was so that he could marry a Baha'i. That's how I word it. <laughs> so it's like, so it's because of Baha'is. <laughs> because he needed to make enough money to be able to afford a divorce mm. so that he was free to get married to Carol. And the only way he could, like, he did not want to do Gone with the Wind. And then he's like, oh, if I do this, then I can. So if it wasn't for Carol, then he wouldn't have done the movie. Gosh. So that's my little fun movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, And it's interesting because that movie has been shown to be problematic and these uh, because it's about the southern aspect during the Civil War. But it's quite interesting when you hear about the that history point, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which again, it's a long movie. It's a long book, but often forgotten. So I feel like it would be interesting to. to learn about like why did they make that movie and and then for Carol because they also made a point of bringing more equality on a set and that Carol was very much about like men women black white I don't care who it is like let's get them all involved and that's sort of what the Baha'i faith teaches well equality it's it's that we're all come from the same source Hmm. so under the eyes of god Mm -hmm. who has no gender who has no there's we don't know who god really is the Mm -hmm. only way we can is through manifestations or prophets but everything that god has created under god's eyes again i'm not saying he because there is no gender to god um god loves us all equally so it doesn't matter if you're black or white or blue, or purple, or female, or a man, or whatever, or child, an elder person. Everyone is the same, equal under God's eyes. Mm-hmm. Therefore, when we come to, like, we're all, they say, we're all leaves of one tree, drops of one ocean. Oh, beautiful. That's the, that's one of the Baha'i writings. So it doesn't, and then the beauty of it is, he said, um, Abdu'l-Baha talks about how, because we're so different in appearance, it's like a garden. If you had a garden of the same exact flower, 
it's not as beautiful as if you had daisies with roses with trees with this and that all the different he's like all the fragrances and all mm. the the colors that's what makes a garden beautiful mm-hmm. so in so embrace our differences our physical appearance differences are just a touch of how we can work together men and women should work together because they're wings of the same bird if if one wing is broken that that bird can't fly right well a man is one wing a woman is another wing and together that bird can fly right so humanity can't progress until men and women are equal and we're already equal under the sight of god so we have to learn how to work together does that make sense yeah so that's Beautiful. that's what all the religions are really saying mm-hmm. as we progress as humanity we use the golden rule you know like jesus said be kind to your neighbor because that's all you knew muhammad said be kind to your countrymen because that's all you really knew. Baha'u'llah comes down and says, be kind to the whole earth. Because now we know <laughs> what the whole yeah. earth has. Like You we, had that sort of foundation. We did. And so now, and they're like, and by the way, just because they're from a different country, it's not they're not the enemy. Mm-hmm. All right? Now we know all this stuff. Um, and signs, like you open up a person from... Africa, from Asia, from South America, it doesn't matter. The insides are the same. Science has shown that it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? So that's another proof. Um, so we try and work together. And and Carol Lombard, going back to her and, and Hazel Scott and all sorts of stuff, they use their arts mm-hmm. to show that or the background or, you know, uh, behind the scenes kind yeah. of thing. They tried to bring everyone together. And Lydia taught. Lydia taught that the number one reason under her and her father's experience is that language was a barrier. Mm-hmm. So if we knew the same language, then we can start understanding each other mm-hmm. and being able to not fear our differences, but embrace them and learn how to work together. Right? And that's that's what I thought was really interesting about these stories. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. So now who was he focusing on Fritz? Well, there's not a lot of information about him that I could really find. Um, but I also was like, okay, I needed to be, I didn't want to be too overwhelmed because I'm already getting so many requests to do a season on such such and such person, right? So for me, I'm only one person. Again, for the majority of it, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, okay, let me just... Okay, I'm going to focus on just women right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to focus on Baha'i women for now. Mm-hmm. Giving who knows what can come of this. Maybe I'll have a team. Maybe I can have more time to do more. And then I can grow it to other people, not just women, or at least not just Baha'i women and stuff. So I wanted it to, to not be too stifled, but niche enough. Sure. So thank you for helping me. Thank you to the listeners. I'm wondering how weird this episode would be for them. Because if they've listened to seven episodes of me kind of reading off a script, <laughs> and now I'm just talking to you. Well, maybe if your mother figured out how to listen, she's going to be the only one. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, well, thank you. And I'm I'm happy that I got it made. And we'll see what happens of it. But yeah, and I'm just going to continue it. 
for at least three more seasons. This has been Who Was She Podcast. Follow us on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. And please rate and subscribe wherever you've listened to this podcast. <laughs>